Alright. Lady, I keep saying ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to start this with ladies and gentlemen. Hello everyone, how are you? <laughs> Welcome to Canadian Puxedo episode 5. Before we get going in this shit house of silliness, uh, obviously we wish the very best to the Vancouver Canucks as they go through their COVID protocols and I hope that uh, no news is good news in that instance. That said, we are one week away from the trade deadline. Uh, so to get ready for this, we are going to take a look at the highs and lows of high school football and being an NHL general manager. And we have a special guest here today. My good buddy, the very, very funny comedian, John Cohen is here, ladies. Just ladies. Just ladies. <laughs> just ladies. <laughs> we were talking about wrestling before we started recording. And so I would just, in the spirit of Val Venus, would like to say, hello, ladies. <laughs> Gentlemen, you can fuck off, but ladies, hello. <laughs> Usually when you start a hockey podcast that is exclusively about one division of the NHL, it's mostly women who are listening to it. So I do think it's like a good, I think you you guys have nailed it. So it's awesome. When I'm cozying up with a nice bottle of wine and I've just had a nice meal with my girlfriend, congratulations on your engagement, by the way. Thank you. You know what she likes to talk about? She likes to dive into the minutia of all the deals that the, that the Canadian general managers have made throughout the year. That's what we're going to do on this show when we're not busy talking about Val Venus and his ups and downs <laughs> personally and professionally. <laughs> so we're going to start with Ken Holland, Mr. Wooden Shoes himself. <laughs> So Ken Holland has only been with the Edmonton Oilers since May of 2019, but he's made a few deals and none of them are great. I'm going to go over some real quick here. The best one. So this is the best one, you guys, which is going to give you a preview for what the rest is going to be. He acquired Tyler Ennis for a fifth rounder. That's his best deal? That is his best deal so far, yes. Depending on your thoughts on the blockbuster, which I'll ask you last, uh, he also acquired almost no time of Mike Green for a fourth rounder. He traded a fourth rounder for Mike Green, who promptly retired. He traded two second round picks for and Sam Gagne for Andreas Athanasiu, who played nine point nine games and got two points for them and zero playoff points, of course. Can't forget that. And he traded John Marino for some reason for a sixth round pick, which I'm like, oh man, that he is exactly who would really be helping the Oilers right now. I think they could really be, I almost called him Ken Marino. That's funny. Uh, So I pulled this, this is something that I read from uh, an Edmonton fan blog and it said, and what has become a Friday tradition in the last of two weeks, Ken Holland has pulled off a trade. Admittedly, this one will have less of an impact on the team going forward than last week's blockbuster, Milan Lucic for James Neal. Yeah, that was a great trade. That was a great trade. If if uh, what's what's the simulation joke? If you simulate that a thousand times or something like that, like you if 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 you do that over again, each GM says yes every day since that trade is made. Like if they phone each other every day since they did that trade, it's like you want to do that again. Yep, still want to do that again. Because <laughs> Milan Lucic is signed until like 2035, I think. So is James Neal. So is Neal, yeah. They have the same length of contract, I think, don't oh. they? Yeah, they do. The same contract. It's obscene. It's really like, it's it's such a bizarre instance of like, I'm going to polish a turd and send it your way. You do it <laughs> the same. Yeah, it was just like, it's the classic, we need a fresh start. You know, that was the whole, that's the whole thing. If I just... 
send James Neal up the highway and Lucic down the highway, uh, it, you know, they'll be complete. They'll just completely change. Everyone will forget about everything that came beforehand. And uh, who, yeah, who cares? But who, John, you want, would you rather Lucic or James Neal? Oh, Neal, I think. I think the funniest thing about Lucic is that Daryl Sutter is playing him a bunch. Oh, so much. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny to me. <laughs> it I mean, is funny. It's, it's one of those things where, I mean, obviously I live in Vancouver, so the, the Canucks play the Flames a lot, but I don't particularly watch too many Canucks games. And the Leafs usually only play Calgary like twice a year. And this year, seeing Calgary more... It is crazy how slow and bad, like Lucic doesn't yeah. even look like an NHL player. Like he just, I don't, it's so, and I know he was good for like a minute, but it's almost impossible to imagine. Even the way he skates, like he oh, it's it looks like he doesn't know how to skate. Has anyone noticed that it looks like Milan Lucic's equipment just doesn't like he's wearing a size down and all of his shoulder pads and stuff. It's yeah. the most puzzling thing all season long. I was like, man, he, he looks like a kid who had a growth spurt that's just trying to get one last season out of his Adam gear or something. Like, it's just bunched up when he's playing. You know what he it's, reminds me of? He looks like, I don't know if you guys played that game for uh, Super Nintendo, but you could have either a skinny guy who was fast but was super easy to flatten, and then a medium guy, and then there was this just giant guy who was so slow. He was like Bowser in Mario Kart, but he could flatten everyone. Yeah, but that Lucy, was, uh, was ice hockey. That, Ice hockey yeah. for NES. Yeah. Yes, so, exactly. That's what yeah. Lucic reminds me of. But I do have to remember that like there was a time that people talked about him and he was effective as like the single biggest difference maker in the NHL. I'm interested to see what Ken Holland's going to do with the deadline because I think that Edmonton team is a mess. And I don't know exactly who he is in the new NHL. So, okay, this is a few Jim Benning trades. Let's get into our friend Jim. I'll say the the good ones first because they're less fun to talk about. Ryan Kessler, he traded Ryan Kessler when he was pretty much at the very end of his career for a first, which ended up being Jared McCann, who they ended up flipping to Florida. For him, Nick Benino, Lucas Sabiza, one of my favorite NHL names of all time, and a third. Not a bad deal. He also got Nate Schmidt for a third. And Nate Schmidt's been okay for the Canucks this year, and I think is decent overall. What was your guys' reaction when that trade came in this summer? I was mad because it was, like, such a low price to get Nate Schmidt. Like, I was just like, huh, if it's only a third, how come – like, how does Jim Benning get the inside track on this? You know what I mean? Like, how is he the guy? I mean, like, yeah, living in Vancouver, like, I don't know if you guys saw this, but – essentially the what what came out was basically he was not offered to any other teams it was just like they apparently like other gms were pissed because it just seemed like kelly mccrimmon uh called jim benning and was like would you do schmidt for a third and benning was like yeah and then he's like okay done and then it was over like apparently that's just what happened and i don't know why there doesn't seem to be any like reason why Jim Benning would be the guy that they would just give Nate Schmidt to for free. I, I don't understand, but yeah, that was definitely like a, a, a point of, of, of note here in Vancouver when that trade was made is essentially, yeah, it was not offered to um, any other teams. And so the GMs were like, what the hell? Like we, like you said, Charles, like we would, every team would have given, I mean, his contract's high, so probably not every team, but there'd be at yeah. least 10 teams that would be lining up to get Nate Schmidt for a third. That's for sure. Oh, uh, definitely. So yeah, I mean, I'm a bit biased because I don't really like Canucks fans, 
And um, a lot of them were <laughs> acting like Nate Schmidt was going to be like the second coming of God. And um, I think I agree with you, Matt. Like, I think he's fine. He's a good defenseman on a good team. He's probably your number three. Um, and uh, in Vancouver, he is kind of being asked to be the number one. And he's just, yeah, I just don't think he is that. Okay. Let me say one that I'm not even exactly sure how I, because when I was ma- when I was going over these trades, I was sorting them into three different groups. One being, you know, kind of trades that have no impact on the franchise. So it's no point in wasting time talking about them. And then there was wins and then there was losses. And this one really struck me as a bit weird and I couldn't quite lay down what I thought about it. And I'm interested to hear what you guys think. Uh, think. It's a first and a third for JT Miller. And we do know who those picks ended up being now. They ended up being uh, Shakir, let me try this, Muma Hamadoulin, I think, is as <laughs> close as I get to that, and a goaltending prospect, uh, Hugo Anafelt. Who is both, so both those guys are supposed to be solid, not world-shaking prospects, but uh, should be NHL players. So I guess w- without even if you don't want to get into the, who those prospects are, what do you think of laying down a first and a third for JT Miller? And that happened on, uh, in, in the summer, which I think is relevant. It's a, that deal is a bit of a firebrand in the Canucks market because for a couple of reasons. So Tampa Bay, very uh, close up to the cap. So there's a thought that it was a bit of an overpay that Tampa needed to get rid of JT Miller. Um, so, you know, you're, you're paying too much for him in a situation where you're kind of helping Tampa Bay out. Um, but yeah, it was a bit of a firebrand because what you had were a lot of the, I guess you'd call smart or analytics fans of the Canucks, not liking that move because their feeling was the Canucks are not a good enough team to justify giving up a first round pick for JT Miller. Um, And there was worry that like, you know, they didn't lottery protect it. So it was like, what if they fall apart? Like what if JT Miller sucks and Tampa, you know, Tampa, the best team in the league gets like a top five pick for JT Miller, you know? So that was a big thing. And then JT Miller comes here and plays unbelievably. Totally. So then you have all of the, I guess, I don't want to call them dumber Canucks fans, but there was definitely like a, there was a lot of <laughs> fighting between even in the preseason. Cause smart fans were like, ah, JT Miller, you know, this, the, the process of this move is not good. And people being like, no, JT Miller's a great player. He's going to have a good season, blah, blah, blah. Then he has a good season. And then you have the analytics people being like, well, I still think the process of that deal was bad, but you know, fans just see while JT Miller got 80 points and he looks like a a first line winger and a really great player. So how could you possibly say that was a bad trade? And so, yeah, so he's been a real, he's been a real source of, of um, consternation in this market uh, for those reasons is where you kind of have the two sections of the fan base sort of warring against each other. Um, I think, I think his lat the last season is the best season he'll ever have. I think he's like a fine player. Um, but yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have paid a first for him in that moment. Um, but you can't say that it didn't kind of work out for the Canucks who were short of first line talent at the but time. But they're lucky the though. Uh, Cause I was just thinking about it. It's not uncommon that teams are like, Oh, well, you know what? We'll give you a first, but we'll kick it down a row when we think we're better. And the Canucks this year, I mean, they're that draft pick. If they, if they had done that this year, they would have been looking at a lot more trouble than they had now. Well, look Let's at the go. Leafs, right? It's the Phil Kessel thing, right? Exactly. It's the, it's oh, the, oh well, we're going to make the playoffs. So it doesn't matter. And then it ends up being the second overall pick. Like, yeah, if we, if they make the Kessel trade and that pick ends up being 17th overall or something, you make the trade a hundred times out of a hundred. But the fact that it ended up being Tyler Sagan and Dougie Hamilton, Ooh. then you go, yeah. oh my God, what, did, <clears throat> what happened? 
<laughs> oh, the difference between a first rounder, like the value of a first rounder, if it's even in like what feels like the top eight and kind of anywhere else is yeah. so horrifying that the fact that all trades like that aren't lottery protected is wild. I'd like to go to a trade next that I know Charles gets you fired up, so I'll kick this to you first. And this, I put this in my last on my last column for Jim Fenning. So while they were firing up, they had JT JT Miller at that point was hot as shit. It was before the Vancouver run last year. They wanted to add, so they called the Los Angeles Kings, and they offered a decent to good prospect. I would say Tyler Madden, who looks like he's going to make his way as an LA King and a second round pick. That was the price they paid for a young man now known as God in Montreal, Tyler <laughs> Toffoli. Charles, what are your what are your thoughts on that deal? The price they paid for him wasn't wasn't that bad. It what the, the price wasn't earth shattering at all. I think it falls into that category of most GMs would do that. It's not your top prospect, it's a high tier prospect and I think especially with the playoff situation last year, it was kind of like the NHL is a league where you just got to get in, get in, get hot and anything is possible. So it was, I think they would do the trade again. It just blows my mind how there was no, like there, there was no progress or they didn't even reach out to him for an extension. Like that's a, that's a free player that you can lock up. And he wasn't signed until late in the free agency period like he wasn't and he signed normal for a good money in montreal he's yeah like i just can't figure that out for the like if if i were the owner of the vancouver canucks which you know god help us all uh that would be one of the things like i'd be putting a a a bullet in the chamber in terms of fire and bending right then and there like you go out and you trade a prospect you get a guy that works you get a guy that fits and then you you've got the longest window in history when it comes to retaining your UFAs because of the interruption and you still run, run the clock, you just don't get it done. And I could see if somebody like, I don't know, I always use Vegas as an example, they just come in out of nowhere and they're like, Hey, five years, 7 million, here you go. Like <laughs> howdy doody. But he signed a very modest deal in Montreal. I, I don't understand it. Yeah. I, I just, I'm, you know, maybe, and it, like, I would give it the benefit if, we didn't hear, you know, from his agent and from, you know, people in the media saying like, yeah, they just didn't call. Like they didn't even do it. Like maybe it's like, oh, if he didn't like Vancouver, he didn't like the coaching or, or what have you. Like if it was that, I'd be like, okay, well, this is not Benning, but it it seems like it was just 100%. Like he, it's kind of like he's leaving the house and he's like, what did I forget to do? And then it just slips his mind type of thing. I just, you know, like I just can't, I, I can't get over it. It's horrendous asset management. The best part of that is that Benning came out in the media and literally said, oh, we ran out of time. He literally (laughs) just said that. He just said that to people, which is, that's the funniest. I mean, that just blows my mind. He he just was like, ah, you know, we wanted to get something done with Tyler, but we just ran out of time. We're going to move to the Jets, uh, to Kevin Cheveldayoff, which is French for horse vacation. He has been there for a gajillion years. Do you guys remember? How long when, did like, you think about that before the podcast started? I have to be honest. I was thinking about it while we were talking about Montreal, and I was like, don't laugh now. So in 2015, they traded a young Zach Bogosian and a Vander Kane to Buffalo for Armia or Armia. 
I forget. Army. Uh, they got Tyler Myers, Drew Stafford, Brendan. Le- I think it's Brendan Lemieux and a first. And do you know who they selected with that first? Was Jack Brozovic, which is the odds of that happening are crazy. But there's more. 2018, they traded a, a first round pick for Paul Statsny and the uh, selected with that pick in that lit area. I'm pretty sure it was Rasmus Sandin. I think Toronto ended up trading down and that's the pick they got Sandin with. On February 25th, they're making a 2019, they're making a push for the playoffs. They got Kevin Hayes for Brendan Lemieux and a first. That first was Vili Heinola, who's a guy who I have been pushing that the Jets have should be playing him this year, and they have not. And they ended up getting that first back because they made a trade, which I think was fucking wicked for Shevel Day off, which is they traded Jacob Truba, who signed for eight mil, I think for seven years, and they got Neil Pionk, who's been great for them, and a first, which they selected with that first, Vili Heinola. I think the, the the centerpiece of that deal remains one of my funnest names to say, Neil Pionk, because it's the only automatopoeia hockey player out there. <laughs> um, but what do you what do you think, John? What do you think about that Winnipeg uh, decor? Because I do I right. have been very impressed with Pionk this year. Oh, I think I think, he, I, think de- I take him over True, but even without contracts. Yeah, I think their decor down. still needs work, but I think um, I think the problem the Jets have is they don't have that true number one. I think like Morrissey is like probably a good two, three. Totally. I think, I think Pionk is like a good, like Pionk is like a four that runs your power play. You know, he's that kind of like, he's like that Adam Fox type of like, you probably don't want him leading your defense in minutes, but if he's, you know, on your second pair and is on your first power play, that's probably good. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I never thought Truba was that great. Um, I, I thought he was all obviously good. I mean, I think he's a, no question, a good player, but given what Winnipeg were going to have to offer him, given that he never seemed to enjoy being in Winnipeg. Um, you know, the one thing I will say that I like about Truba <clears throat> is that, um, he's been very supportive of his, um, I guess, wife or fiance or girlfriend who is, I think in medical school. And part of the reason he wanted to be out of Winnipeg was to be sort of closer to her where she was going to school and stuff. So I respect that move but uh but yeah I, I think overall it was a weird one because pionk just totally seemed like he was going to be a fluke like he had that one good season and you're like oh yeah. do you really want to trade a foundational piece like jacob truba for a guy who had one good season um but now it seems like he's a legit player and how about the rangers how many good defensemen can one team draft like if you think about yeah. pionk staying there you'd have like k andre miller adam fox Pionk, Nils Lundqvist, Lundqvist. Is on the way. Like, it's just, it's crazy how many good, even that like guy they got from Tampa in the JT Miller trade, the, uh, was that the JT? No, the Ryan McDonough trade, the Libor Hayek guy. He looks yeah. like he could be a play. Like, they just have so many good D men. It's crazy. Well, when you, when you said that you were like, he's like a number four, like Adam Fox. And I was like, Oh, that's a respectful disagreement for me on that one. <laughs> I think, and Adam Fox is on this list that he's going to come up because he was drafted by the Calgary flames. He believe was, it or not, yeah, and he was no, just I, never going to fucking play for. No, him. he was, wasn't into it. And it's, don't get me wrong. I think Adam Fox is like, when I say number four, I just mean like second pairing guy. Sure. Like, I don't know that Adam Fox is ever going to be like a true number one. He might be, it's been very good this year. Um, I have him on my fantasy team and like, I'm not, you know, it's not like I don't like Adam Fox. I do like him. Yeah. It is weird though. How many American players don't want to play in Canada. It's like, they think it's like some sort of strange 
foreign land or something like it's totally. exactly it, there does seem like a, there's a certain amount of just a lack of awareness of canada yeah. like people are like yeah canada's so much smaller and just like it's really not that different from the states like america's definitely bigger but you know it's not like you're gonna like you especially like we're from fucking newfoundland man some of the questions you get from people from the states if you're ever on like an all-inclusive resort or something in high school people are like you guys got electricity there and i'm like yeah <laughs> one day man <laughs> i hope so we have penguins <laughs> that turn the cranks uh and it generates the electricity it's crazy what we got going on up here you know what's funny I mean, I feel like even true, Canadians are kind of like positive. that too Aren't Canadians like that too? Sometimes there's got to be, you can probably meet Canadians too, who are like, so what's yeah. going on in Newfoundland? <laughs> oh yeah. And then the people in Newfoundland get really up in arms about it sometimes not to sell out my own people, but there are times <laughs> people are like, <laughs> people are like, man, people don't know anything about Newfoundland and Canada. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Tell me anything about Manitoba. Tell me anything. And they're like, ah, well, <laughs> It's the longitudinal center, man. Longitudinal center. Well, yeah. yeah well, John K. Only, Samson, only, there you go. I was going to say, I only know that because of Weaker Than's albums. Hey, man, that's a great uh, way to learn. Also, no like, in that. fairness to me as a, I guess, mainland Canada person, uh, which, I mean, I'm in, like, the far southwest corner of Canada, but it's like Newfoundland is not easy to get to. You know, so no. it's like, you know, that's also a big part of it. You can't be that mad when it's as expensive and hard as it is to get to Newfoundland. You oh, know, I've so been expensive. lucky enough to be there, to have gone there. And I love, I love Newfoundland, but I feel like it's the one, a, a lot of people probably are like, yeah, I've been to every Canadian province except Newfoundland. That's really hard to get to. And I didn't go. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, voyage just wasn't worth it. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. I never, never mind. Had, they never had a Toutin, so that's really their problem. Once oh my a, god! Once okay, you have so a Toutin, have, then you're in. Then you're like, have, I'm coming we, back. We, all the time. Adam Christie came to because he and he was here. We were doing some shows. We were hanging out. He went out to Mallard Cottage for brunch. He looked at the waiter and he was like, "Excuse me, what is a Toutin?" <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, in fairness, I do believe that's how I pronounced it as well. I think oh, yeah. um, Newfoundland comedian Adam Benson uh, took me out for breakfast uh, when I was here. And uh, yeah, he was like, you got to have a Toutin. And I was like, I think actually, no, he saved me because he was like, you got to try a Toutin. And I was like, a, a pardon? And it was like a Toutin. And then I like looked at the menu and I think I did the like Toutin. Toutin. Oh, you mean like Touton? And then he's like, well, we call it a Toutin. And I'm like, okay, of course you call it a Toutin. Jesus. Yeah. There is a, there's the French, a real. The French language and the letter H is misused in Newfoundland a lot. <laughs> oh, with pride, I would say. So <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's, it's correcting people is, is my favorite. All right. So I will say another good trade from Cheval Day Off. Uh, DeMello for a third looks real nice, but let's talk about the big deal because I think his reputation has never, ever taken a swing has changed. Uh, the entirety of, the, of this trade with the exception of the third round pick has been benched by John Tortorella now, but now with a little bit of, you know, time away, uh, what do you, where are we at on Jack Rosovic and line eight for Dubois on a third Charles, you can, you can take us off there if you'd like. Hmm. Uh, I, I think that's a trade that 
I don't want to take away from from Chevalier off here. I, I think it might be a trade that kind of fell into his lap because Dubois said, "Like I'm, I'm, I'll sign here, but you got to trade me." There was a lot going on with I think his his uh, father is part of the coaching staff on the AHL affiliate there, so it might have something to do with it. I can imagine the staunch difference between being coached by John Portarella and then being coached by an organization that employs your family member is is you know something that if I was demanding a trade would be favorable. I don't like how it was line A plus. I just, I don't, I don't, I'm never going to like that uh, regardless of line A's performance in Columbus. Like I just, I, I'm like you're trading the, just the asset management wise of it. You're trading the guy who was drafted for number two overall of that draft for the guy who was drafted number three overall. You shouldn't have to throw in that much in, in my yeah. opinion. John. Well, guys, um, <laughs> It's a conf- this is a conundrum because I'll, here's what I'll say. I love Patrick Line. Same. But I would not I would not want him on my team. I wouldn't want to coach him. I wouldn't want to manage him. He is a weird dude. And as a guy who likes weird dudes, that's why I like him. I can just watch him and I can be like, look at this absolute freak. He is a total, he is a fucking absolute weirdo. I mean, is there like, I'm struggling to think of a weirder NHL player than him. Um, So yeah. And I mean, I think if you're like, I agree with what you're saying, Charles. I think that part of it was Roslovic was just a throw in from the Winnipeg end because he was basically like, I'm not playing for Winnipeg ever again. So I think from, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. But at the same time, it's like, were they going to be able to move Roslovic in a separate deal where they would have got a lot more back? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's so interesting that you, if you're Kekalainen, why you would acquire possibly the weirdest, laziest player in the NHL <laughs> to be coached by John Tortorella, who I think is one of the worst people in the league. Yeah. Um, I think he is just a f- He's such an asshole. I hate the way he treats the media. And like, I don't like the media and the way he treats them is so unfair and, and bad. Um, yeah. I, I think he just gets away with a lot because they're like, Oh, it's just John Tortorella. No, he's a bad guy. Don't like him. Uh, yeah. so yeah, it was, it was, he's not always good. It was so obvious to see that that wasn't going to work out. Strange trade. I'm going to be very curious to see what both guys resign for i think that or if they mm. resign at all that's going to be the true tell the true telling of you know how that deal looks in retrospect i think part of me thinks that line a gets moved before the 10th part of me thinks they try to flip him again and just oh, really uh, i think now is a great time to buy low on patrick line a. i'm not saying i don't think patrick line a is ever going to win a selkie i think charles you might be right and that is horrifying to me if i'm the columbus blue jackets i don't i think that line a is just like if you could just have a guy who can shoot like that i think he will I don't know. He's never going to round out into an amazing guy, but I think that just to have that weapon on your power play, I think a lot of teams could use it. I really do. I think that, and I players, when they get traded, it does take time to settle in for almost everyone. And Line is a 22 year old. As you said, he's weird as shit. Uh, so I bet for him, it's a, it's, it's kind of a weird scenario. And I, if I'm Columbus, I'm riding it out. I'm, 
I'm making a, a coaching change before I'm evaluating literally anyone sure. on my roster. Oh, f- just fire him for God's sake. You know, someone's going to hire See, him, which pisses me off, but fire his ass. Get him out of the league, baby. I hate him. We're, we're teetering away from our, uh, our mandate of the seven Canadian teams, but uh, I think he's George Costanza in it. I think he's trying to get fired. Oh, he I is think, for sure. This is performance yeah, I think art. Just, I think, yeah, I think this is a Costanza move where he's like, you can get fired or you can get canned. And they can look at me. Look <laughs> at sure. that guy. Look how he scratched Roslovic. He's been the only Ex- guy that's played oh, well obscene. in Columbus for like yeah, two I, months. I, I, you know, and, he's like, a guy honestly, misses a back check. He's like, you're scratched. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck, man? And honestly, I can't blame him because the option is getting fired or having to sign long-term in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, I don't know. But Tortorella know. seems like the type of guy who loves to be somewhere like Columbus. Like, totally. There's the classic, like, okay, here's how this story always blows my goddamn mind, okay? But when Tortorella coached in Vancouver, he did not want to live in Canada. So he bought a house in Point Roberts, which is an exclave. Um, so it's like, uh, basically, it's technically located in Canada, but it is belongs to the United States. That's it's obscene. About, it's about 40 minutes outside of Vancouver. And he lived there because he, he, he signed with the Canucks for five years, knowing that he was going to refuse to live in Canada. So here we are. It's funny. Last week we were like, Charles and I were like, are we going to get into Tortorella and Columbus? And we're like, no, no, we won't. And then it happened this week. So I think it was meant to happen. I think there this is. is a thing Can't that we needed to have it. catharsis on. Yeah. And uh, I feel good. I'm Me going too. to go to uh, Brad Traveling now, which is uh, French. No, I don't have anything. Traveling? Um, Traveling? Traveling? What did tre-living. I say? Traveling. Traveling. It's Traveling. Traveling. I can't which is French yeah. for basketball dribble for moving the ball without dribbling. Yeah, there you go. I was waiting. So for this guy, I'm not. I've lost confidence in how I say his name now. So I'm. I'm actually going to stop. <laughs> this, this guy, guy. <laughs> Brad. Brad. Calgary. Brad. His thing. So he signed. Uh, this Brad, our friend Brad, out in Calgary, <laughs> Brian Burke's nephew. He has been spending his entire career. He got Markstrom this year as like, okay, you got your guaranteed starter. Uh, And he's been fighting for a goalie his entire career. June 24th, 2016, he spent, he traded a second and a third to the blues for his new starting goaltender, Brian Elliott. Brian Elliott had a 9-10 that season. Then a 9-09, the season after that, 907, 8-99, 8-88. The wheels are off Brian Elliott. The reason I bring that trade up, because it seems a bit weird to bring up a 2016 trade. The only reason I say it is the second round pick turned out to be a young man who broke into the league this year in Jordan Cairo. Brian Elliott left that summer. The next year, he trades a third for Mike Smith, who has alternated between being shit and God consistently uh, for his entire career. He's had a good season this year. Another bad trade he made, uh, Travic, Travic, <laughs> Travic Hamminus. Travic Hamminus. <laughs> Travic Hamminus in a fourth for a first and two seconds, including Noah Dobson. And I think that smarts. Any thoughts on those before I drop the hammer on the big deal that uh, Brad Crevalin has made? <laughs> uh, this, just just on the Smith one, um, 
who that you, you said the third round. Who did that third round pick turn into? Uh, the third round turned into with with all due respect to the prospect who is better at hockey than I am at anything. He turned into nothing. Whoever that was, I did not know to tell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. That was the only. I was like, yeah. I was like, oh, what, what, what did, they, did they ever pan out? Because I think Smith is at the point in his life now where he's he's one of those guys that's just gonna go back and forth the highway. Like they might have him back next year as a backup. I bet he sucks next year and never plays again. But I got to give him credit; he's been real good this year. I uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's tough to evaluate trades where you say, well, the second rounder turned into this or the third rounder turned like you can't evaluate trades based on that, even though it's yeah. easy, it's easy to do. It's, it's fun. It's fun to do where you go, Oh, look at you. You stupid fuck. You traded a, <laughs> you traded the 57th and the 71st overall pick and they both turned into NHL all-stars. You, you traded them for a backup goal. You dumb moron. Uh, but like you can't i mean it's one of those things where you go okay like yeah you trade of course you trade the 59th pick for that guy every time like you can't yeah you know you you it's fun to get into that but you can't really go oh kairu for elliot how dare you you know but i but i hear what you're saying it is fun to look at the trades like that i I just think um you know Treliving is that classic stereotype like you said it's the show me a good coach and I'll show you a good goalie or show me a good GM and I'll show you a good goalie. He's never had goaltending. Um, and I just don't, he's never hired a good coach either. Like I'm just not positive. He knows what he's doing. Um, oh. he's the son of Jim Treliving, who's very connected in hockey. Uh, you know, so it could be a little nepotiz who knows, but he, uh, yeah. Like if you look at his coaches, right? Like he hired Glenn Gullitson stunk. He hired uh, what's his face last year stunk. Then we get in Jeff Ward who play, who coaches 20 good games. And he's like, Oh, we better give him a contract. And then he looks like he doesn't know how to coach. Yeah. Uh, you know? So it's like, and Sutter looks like, and then, and then he brings Daryl Sutter back. Unbelievable. Daryl Sutter was on the phone. Daryl Sutter doesn't even want to be back. I don't know how this I, happened. <laughs> the Daryl Sutter thing. I have never believed in simulation theory more in my life than when Daryl Sutter was hired again by the Calgary. I was like, it's like the Matrix gag. I was like, tech support, tech support. Something's wrong. Charles, I feel like you think about our life being a simulation more than most. Oh, you're, yeah. like, oh, you're like, that's the time I thought about it the most. I'm like, well, you've brought it up three times already on this podcast. So. <laughs> I feel like you think about it a lot because I never think about the fact that my life is a simulation. <laughs> yeah, man. Sometimes, sometimes when Daryl Sutter returns on three-year contract, that's the only explanation. Yeah, I know you're right. Oh, you're right. I, oh, this is weird. I just got a text from Charles. He says John denying simulation theory is more evidence we're in a simulation. That's interesting. <laughs> okay, sorry to have you on that one. So this is, I honestly think this is one of the most interesting trades in modern NHL history. This is the big one. Uh, Calgary acquires Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin for Michael Furland, Dougie Hamilton, and the right to talk to Adam Fox for two months before he inevitably goes to New York. So I think this is somehow a trade that's good for both teams with so many asterisks in it. I think we're big, big, I'm a big Elias Lindholm fan. I think Noah Hannafin's been real good this year. Furland is a tough evaluation because that seems to me like we'll never really know how good that guy was going to be just because of health stuff. 
But Dougie Hamilton, I think, is like top five D in the league. I know he's divisive, but that's, you know, I'm a statsy nerd boy. So, I mean, I got to be riding that Dougie Hamilton trade. Where are you guys at on Lindholm and Hannafin for what turned out to be pretty much for Dougie Hamilton? Well, for starters, they had to get rid of Dougie Hamilton because he was going to museums and shit. Got to get that out of town. <laughs> oh, yeah, he wasn't going to boxes right enough. Yeah. Spent a lot of time yeah, at the was... Cowboy Museum in Calgary. Yeah, we were like, Get had to go. It's yeah. just, uh, yeah. I, I, I like that trade for both teams. Uh, Noah Hannafin scored a goal last night for the Leafs, so I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> my recency bias on that one. Yeah, but he also he almost Keith Ballarded David Riddick after he <laughs> let it in. Oh, he did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was mad. Yeah. Uh, it's to me, it's because people saying whoever gets the best player wins the deal. But in this instance, I don't I, I don't know. I don't think it's a clear win for Carolina, even though I would say that Dougie Hamilton is the best player in that trade. I do think Elias Lindholm is real good and a, a perennially underrated guy. But, John, who would you give the victory to well, on that deal? It's tricky because if imagine Carolina signed Adam Fox. They with go. that trade is a smackdown. Totally. Um, I mean, I think probably Carolina knew they didn't have a great chance of signing Fox, but even still, um, you know, uh, it's I, I agree with what you said. I do think that getting the best player in the trade doesn't always mean you won the trade. I think the 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 problem for me, I, I would say Carolina won the trade only because what Elias Lindholm turned into was the absolute best case scenario for Calgary. I think anytime you make a deal like that for a guy who's a highly touted prospect, but has started very slow in the NHL. Um, anytime you make that bet, you are betting like like Calgary was making a really big bet that he was going to be good and the bet paid off. And so that's great. Like that's what you want to do in trades, but you know, I think there was almost an equal chance that he was like a 40 point two way center. So, you know, yeah. I think it's a tr that's a tricky one for me where you know what Dougie Hamilton is. Carolina knows they're getting a, a Norris Trophy contender defenseman in that deal. Calgary doesn't really know what they're getting. They hope they know what they're getting, but they're taking a much bigger chance. I think it's time we got into Pierre Dorian. I, I was just going to tell you guys how Colorado set up the greatest blue line in the NHL with one of the weirdest trades that has ever happened. A rare three-way trade between the Ottawa Senators, the Nashville Predators, and the Colorado Avalanche. This is a masterclass in asset management from the Avalanche because I think one of the things that can really screw over a franchise is not knowing when to move on from a guy. The guy in question uh, is Matt Duchesne. Ottawa thought that he was the guy that was going to put him together. And he was a part of that magical run that they were on. But Ottawa got in this trade. It went three ways. Here's what, here's how it ended up in the end. Ottawa got Matt Duchesne. Nashville got Kyle Turris, who, you know, was great in Ottawa and was beloved. And while he's having an okay year this year, was never what he was again. And it's honestly, it makes me a little sad because I like him as a person. But let's hear what Colorado got out of this. They got Ottawa's first, who ended up being Bowen Byram. They also got a second-round pick from Nashville that ended up getting flipped a couple times, eventually selecting future Leafs Hall of Famer Philip Hallander. 
And they got Sam Gerrard. So they moved Duchesne and they ended up with Bowen Byram and Sam Gerrard for that. And Bowen Byram is like so clearly like if he was not on the same blue line as Kale McCarr, people would be like, this guy is the clearest number one in the world. And I think Sam Gerrard, I don't know how long this is going to last, but is going to uh, going to be one of the greatest, you know, probably one of the most underrated blue liners in the league. Duchesne ended up getting flipped again a year later for Vitaly Abramov, Jonathan Davidson, and Lassie Thompson, who are, you know, not can't miss prospects, but not nothing either. But my God, wouldn't you rather Bowen Byram? If you're a Sense fan, does that does that not break your heart? It doesn't only because Senator, the senators have done 45 different things that would break your heart. Ahead of that thing. <laughs> you can't break what's already broken. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. I always think about yeah. my friend Ryan, who used to be a senator's blogger. And he, you guys probably saw this it was about a year ago. He did like an epic tweet thread that like covered the senators from like 2016 to 2019. And basically like all the organizational failures they had. And it was just, I mean, it was just incredible. You know, it was truly, truly special. I do remember that. Uh, my question with the Senators will always remain, how many of these moves are Senators GM Pierre Dorian's and how many of them are Eugene Melanick's? Because uh, a handful of years ago, I ended up at a hotel bar and tied one on with Sen's owner Eugene Melanick. You did and, what? Uh, how what? is this just coming uh, it, up now? <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, no, what? like me, my bro, me, my brother, and my dad ended up staying in the same hotel he was in. Uh, oh, geez, probably be 2012 or something, maybe 2011. And uh, the reason, like, the only reason we, we kind of picked him out is because he just wouldn't stop getting up with the band and playing the piano. And uh, yeah, like he uh, he had a he had a fun night and uh, he had a full night, but the dude needed to be everywhere. And just that small sample of what I, you know, taste of that, I was like, yeah, okay, I can't imagine the GM is ever doing his job. Like he was at a hotel and he's like, wow. I need to play the piano. Oh yeah, no, we should yeah. have done a full episode it. on this. I wish, you, I wish you told me that before. Uh, I'll, I'll try to dig up the picture. There's a great one. Like he spent like the full night. There's a great photo of like him and my dad half buckled around the piano. Uh, I, I will say he was uh, kind of to take care of our tab that we ran up and uh, he came and visited us at our seats the next night. Yeah, well, he saved a lot church. of money fucking putting the arena out in the boon. So we got to spend that somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, ever since ever since that encounter, I was like, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't matter what a GM is doing here. This man has his hands in everything. And every, every time I look at a poor sense trade, I'm like, it reminds me of like there was a Whalers ownership group that was the same thing uh, who later yeah. hired uh, Pierre Maguire and uh, for their GM. And, and every time I look at it, I was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is just Eugene Melanick trying to be owner fan and GM. And that's how they ended up with Matt Murray. Right. Bringing so, the guy that won two cups. In the sense tear down, they made a bunch of moves, which were puzzling. Uh, some good, some not so good. The big things, they had two pieces. They had Mark Stone and they had Eric Carlson, who Carlson has been rough since, but at the time, you're like, this is maybe the best defenseman in the NHL. And the return for them is a little different. I think it's funny because the return for Carlson is better than the return for Stone, and the performance of Stone has been better since... And then, you know, kind of the opposite for Carlson. So for Mark Stone, they got Tobias and Tobias Lindbergh for Eric Brandstrom in a second. And then for Carlson, they got uh, a little while of DeMello, Chris Tierney, another great name, Rudolph Balsers, a second round pick, ended up being 
well, he went to Carroll. They ended up flipping that to that too, actually. Uh, but the first rounder that ended up getting them, Tim Stutzla. So, I mean, honestly, you, it seems like you never win a trade when you trade your franchise guy, but they actually seem like, like to move a declining Carlson for, you know, the future of your team, you got to give it to him. That one certainly worked out. Yeah, great trade. I mean, that's one of those ones too where, I mean, I don't think the Senators organization is particularly good or smart, but like you have to wonder if they had like medical data and stuff where you go like, you mm. know what, this guy is, because when they traded him, universally that return was panned, that that was a horrible return for a couple of reasons. People thought the first would be late because San Jose had been really good for years. Right. And then they just were like, Oh, you got a bunch of like third line, third pair guys for, for Carlson. That doesn't make any sense. But again, it's one of those, you wonder if maybe Ottawa had a little inclination you know, we've seen the data. We've seen what's going on here. His body's not going to hold up. And then obviously they got really lucky that San Jose ended up being horrible. And then they got Stutzla and ha- could have had a chance at first. I mean, Stutzla right now looks like the best player from this draft class. But at the time, you know, it was like Ottawa could have ended up picking first and second in that draft, which is insane. Yeah. So, so yeah, it, it, it has shone favorably on them in a similar way that the Mark Stone one hasn't. Although I feel like they were a bit handcuffed because I think Stone said he wouldn't go anywhere other than Vegas, if I'm not mistaken. Interesting. And he also, yeah, I was, like, I think Mark, Mark, Mark Stone has been a guy whose reputation has been... I remember he was in the World Junior. Some people were like, who is this 40-year-old man? He just <laughs> always looked like he was really old. And then yeah. it just... He never... He's just like a... like. A winger will never win the Selkie for some stupid reason, and Mark Stone is just such an elite defensive player, great offensive player too, that he never got his due. And then now it's like, as you know, he's the captain of the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, it's it's obscene how how great he's turned out to be. Uh, Charles, let me throw let me throw a couple of the other Sens teardown trades. They have made some decent trade. They got a first and second for Pajot. I don't mind that. Two seconds for Dezingle before they reacquired him for basically nothing. Nothing. Got Mike Riley for a fifth, who I think is underrated. The, I think the next is, this is an interesting trade to segue. This is another instance of a team who managed to set up their future generation for trading away a franchise guy and actually getting fair value also in a trade with the Las Vegas Golden Knights. I'm talking about the Canadians flipping Max Pacioretty to the Golden Knights for Suzuki, Tatar, and a second. Any thoughts, gentlemen? Charles, you want to go first on this one? I, uh, when that trade happened, I was like, oh, Montreal trades their captain again because they've traded so many captains. And I always kind of snicker at it because as a Leafs fan, you, you know, you hear all about the elegant class of Montreal, but it's like, okay, that's the fifth captain they've traded. Uh, I liked it because I like, I like Suzuki. Uh, I thought they were going to get the second Suzuki brother as well, which would have been like kind of cool. Um, totally. I could just. I could just picture the amount of like Super Mario Brothers things that would happen in Montreal in terms of graphics and stuff like that. Uh, like I, 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 Thomas Tatar, I don't know how long he's signed for. I kind of think they might flip and move away from him. He seems like kind of the person that is going to kind of drop off quick to me. Um, that's just 
that's just kind of what I, I see, especially he hasn't had like a hot year uh, this year or a slow start, especially, but I think the Habs would do that trade again quicker than Vegas would, especially given Vegas's cap constraints, cap issues with the Pacioretty contract. And they even tried to trade him over the summer, which the whole, I think the sound bite was like match Pacioretty was like, you kid, they asked him if he was bothered by his name being in the trade rumors. Is like, are you kidding me? I, I came from Montreal. Yeah. Uh, but but I think I think that's a clear cut win by Bergevin on that trade. Even even that I'm not sold on Tatar, I still think it's a win. I don't know if that's I don't know if I would agree with that. I think from it's it's a rare kind of both team kind of got what they needed there. It kind of depends on how Vegas does, you know, in the playoffs and and such. John, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree. I think it's like. It's it, both teams got what they wanted. Vegas was in win now mode. Montreal was not. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a good deal. I think Suzuki is turning out to be a much better player than I thought he would be. He's looking Same. like uh, he's looking like a, a stud, a stud muffin, as we say in the business. Uh, he's looking real good. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think it's. I, I agree. I think it's a kind of a win all around. I mean really too, like Pacioretty had been falling apart a little bit. Like Vegas actually kind of got lucky. Like they were sort of betting that Pacioretty would refine his form in Vegas, which he did. Um, so it, that kind of helped the deal work out a little bit better. And then, like I said, Suzuki, I think has been better than probably even Montreal expected. Um, so yeah, I think it's a win. I think everybody won that deal, uh, but I think Montreal won it more. So this is a clear win for Montreal. I don't even know how much we're going to be able to say about this because it's just, in my opinion, the clearest win. They traded a second and a fourth, uh, one of which ended up being Caleb Jones, for what it's worth, for Jeff Petrie, who Jeff, or sorry, Charles and I last week both agreed that he probably had the best season of any defenseman in the entire division. Yeah, I mean, there's talk that he's like in the running for the Norris. He's like top three or five in league scoring, and it's crazy. Edmonton has not had a good defenseman forever. I mean, Clefbaum is good. <laughs> Clefbaum's good, but he's not, you know, on a good team. Clefbaum's a two or a three. Totally. Uh, and they've traded away Petrie and Marino, both for almost nothing. I mean, Marino, Elks we still well. don't know. Yeah, totally. Like we still don't know exactly what Marino's going to be, but I mean the fact that he is even a regular NHLer for a 6th round pick is crazy. Yeah. Uh, you know, when Edmonton's dressing the defenseman that they're dressing right now. Uh so yeah, I mean, poof, wild. This is another one that Charles and I have already covered, so I'll pitch this back to you again. This is I think such a fascinating trade and I think this really just speaks to who Bergevin is as a GM because it's such a massive swing that you don't see very often but Shea Weber for PK Subban I could still remember when that came in I was roaring laughing because I was just like Shea Weber's going to drop off a cliff and PK is going to you know his contract's not as long I think he's a better player right now and I think to be fair at that point he was uh and man I think Charles, you and I both agree that's as wrong as we've been ab about a trade uh, in modern. In I keep saying in modern history, I don't know what that is. I was at the museum with <laughs> you. Dougie just mean Hamilton. the history of your life, <laughs> yeah. like in, mo yeah. in my modern history. Yeah, <laughs> since the late 1900s, it's probably yeah. one of the worst trades since the late 1900s, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, I was always a Subban apologist. Um, you know, even when people were saying he wasn't that great and, 
when he was, you know, winning the Norris. Did he win? Yeah, he won the Norris, right? Or just nominated. Yeah, yeah he won. Yeah. So winning the Norris trophy, being on the Olympic team, whatever. I was always a Subban apologist. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I thought the same. I was like, holy smokes. Nashville has correctly identified Shea Weber's peak. They have gotten rid of him and his crazy contract. Subban is unbelievable. And who knew that it was Montreal who had correctly judged the peak of their own player. Uh, I mean, I think even Montreal would be surprised at how much Subban has fallen off. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy how good uh, Weber has continued to be. Yeah, he's been a he's been a he's been a force, and it's been frankly bizarre. This one is, I think, uh, they lost by a little bit, but m- maybe not as much as uh, I think. Charles and I differ on this player. We were arguing about him at eight o'clock this morning. Jonathan Drewen for Sergachev in a second. Uh, I think Jonathan Drewen is a quality top six guy, and by top six, I mean second liner. He puts up 50-ish points every year and seems to drive play at a pretty solid rate. But Sergachev, uh, just even the years that he was good on a contract where he was on his on his ELC, I think really tips that in Tampa's direction. Where are you guys at? I'm going to let John go first. Oh, no. I keep going first, so I just didn't want to. Well, I mean, it's – well, Charles and I have – there's some of these players and even deals we've already talked about, so I'm going to give you the floor on a lot of these. I – Druen is Montreal's Nylander. Um, I think Nylander's better than Druen, but I think that's like the – I think that's the comparison is like he's the kind of – what you guys are both reacting heavily. Oh, oh you said what Charles is, said this morning. That has been you my guys argument. Don't see the this because we don't have a video that, podcast, but I just did, been... my my jaw just dislocated, my mouth opened. So no, big. but I like I I do I think Nylander is a better player than Druen for sure. Yeah, but hey, I think it's same. a similar. It's a similar. You know, Nylander is definitely a top six forward, but he's like your five six. He needs to be playing with a good player to be good. He's gonna have stretches where he disappears. Uh, but he's a very, very high skill player that you love to have on your team. I think Drew N is cut from the same cloth. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm biased obviously because I'm a Leafs fan and I love Willie. Uh, but I think that's, you know, those are kind of the similar players. And so, you know, if, if you think about it from the Leafs perspective, like if the Leafs gave up a, a very highly touted young defenseman for Nylander, you probably would have a less positive view than of Nylander than you would given that we drafted him and, and drafted him after years of drafting shitbag players with high picks. See, I think you're underrating Willie. I think he's a, I think he is like a number three, honestly. I think we underrate Willie because we have three guys who are uh, uh, ahead of him, but I, we won't, uh, Charles. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean I, with, no, no, sorry, John. I don't mean to cut you off. If no, you no, want to take no. your Charles, you go. Without even touching on Nylander, without even touching, I, I've, I've, you know, everybody who knows me knows my thoughts on William Nylander. I love the guy. But my wording was John Druan is everything that the angry Leafs chuds want to make you think William Nylander is. Right. He had the holdout. He had the holdout. They had the overpay on the contract. They had the fact that the addition to that is the fact that they had to give up all these assets that they would sorely want back in my opinion and aside from all that he is in the six hole in my opinion you do need a good player to play with him to kind of drive the line he can finish some nights but he's just he's an enigma and I hate using that word because it's a cliche but he is like he's the kind of player that 
and the Leafs play the Habs on Wednesday, and I'm going to bet that he gets over a goal and a half, and I'm probably going to throw 20 bucks on it because he'll do it despite me. But he's just – you don't know what you're going to get. Consistency has always been an issue, and my thing has always been is his name was John Bennett from Concord, Ontario. He doesn't fetch that price in Montreal, and he doesn't get that contract in Montreal. It's as yeah, simple as that. My thoughts on Druin is that if he was not a third overall pick, people if you if you drafted him like 18th overall, I think people would be like, this is a perfectly acceptable player at that price point. And I think we're underrating him. And I think we underrated Tatar also. And I bet that's what the Habs contingent is is thinking on this end. But it is it is a sketchy trade. And here's another Montreal one that I don't know how I stand on. So, and it's kind of all one trade. So they traded Galchenyuk for Domi and then Domi for Anderson. So let me ask you guys, of those three players, which, you know, which would you want? And I mean, it's it's tricky because they've peaked at different times. But I think that they were really dancing in the streets when they traded Domi for Anderson. And I think Anderson's more of a presence. But I, I mean, Domi has certainly, if you average out the last three years, here's a crazy thing. They're points per game. Uh, and uh, Galchenyuk and Domi, or sorry, Galchenyuk and Anderson are almost exactly the same per game. That's so. I mean, that's including Anderson's great year and his injured year where he barely played. So it's not. It's nothing to do with uh, injury. But Max Domi has put up points at a much higher rate, and I think he's had a rough year this year playing under the, as we all agree, greatest coach in the National Hockey League. But I think that Max Domi is a better player than Josh Anderson, and I'm wondering where you guys are at on that. If uh, if Don Descharm was the coach to end last year, that trade just doesn't happen. That trade just flat out doesn't happen. Um, I think the Domi thing was more or less a, hey, trade me. I'm not coming back under this guy. I've never seen a modern player so outspoken with a, a rift with his coach. Like we kind of got to peek a little bit behind the curtain with Phil Kessel uh, and Randy Carlisle in that situation where it's like, hey, these guys don't get quite along. And I think there was a HBO 24-7 that kind of was around that same time period. But uh, Domi was just like, he, he'd, he'd be telling the TSN guys and he'd be like, he'd just be, they'd ask him, he's like, hey, what's your relationship with your coach? And he'd laugh and be like, no comment. They fired yeah. Claude Julian, like pretty, you know, they, they fired Claude Julian pretty early into this season if, if they did that last year. Uh, I don't think they have the need to move him at all um so i think it's kind of a unfortunate cart before the horses situation there Uh i think here's what i would say i think the best version of josh anderson is better than the best version of max domi but i would rather have max domi does that make sense interesting absolutely yeah yeah i think i think anderson is uh is you know i hate to say this but he's like the type of guy you win with you know yeah he just in, in the modern NHL to have a guy that big with the hands that he has and his ability to like get to the net and finish and, and have that sort of sandpaper in his game or whatever, you know, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm a bit more of on the side of team fancy stats and I don't think you need a giant team to win a cup or whatever, but I think Anderson is the type of guy when he's on and he's playing well, um, I would rather have him than Domi. Um, but yeah, like I say, I think exactly what you said, Domi's got a ton of points. He's got the pedigree. He's a, he's, I think he's a great player. And I think on a night to night basis, you'd probably rather have him, but, um, yeah, it's, it, it, that's a tricky one. You know, I think he's that a good whole, playmaker. 
the whole Domi he's, situation is a bit tricky because I think Domi is a bit of a, you know, he's his own man, which I think is great. But that's I do, well, <laughs> I, I think I think he's his own man. I don't like obviously some of his political views or whatever, but I do think, you know, he's also the type of guy where you go, do we want this guy in the room? Like, you know, for a guy that talented, it's probably a little bit telling that he's been traded three times already. And yeah, um, you know, or twice, I guess, technically, but he's been on three different teams. You know, it's, it's a bit telling uh, usually when a young player who's that good is traded that many times. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would say I'm kind of even on both of those probably leaning Domi, I suppose. So that's interesting because this is a real collision between my eyes and my brain. Because if I look at, if I'm, if I have, I've, I always watch Leafs Habs. I love it. Uh, I will say watching Josh Anderson, he seems to me like more of a threat than Max Domi and he scares me more. But if I look at the numbers, I would take Max Domi. So, but I think that kind of to, to put a bow on the Habs here, Mark Bergevin is the best trading general manager, I think, maybe in this league. We can we can argue that, but I'll just list some other trades here. I think when your worst trade here that I'm seeing uh, that you got Jonathan Drewin in, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. Here's Let me just list some other trades real quick. I think Jake Allen for a third and a seventh, that looks real nice. They were, In 2016, they traded Thomas Fleischman and, and Dale Weiss or Weiss? I'm not sure. Weiss, and I don't care. Weiss. The Dutch Gretzky, baby. Weiss's peanut butter cups. Yeah. Oh, my God. For a second. And Philip Deneau, who's been good uh, for many years. That second turned out to be Alex Romanoff. And I know that really are who's to say if that's, uh, you know, fair to debate or not. But it is fun. And in the name of fun, let me tell you two more. They traded two seconds for Andrew Shaw to Chicago, and Chicago, this ended up balancing itself out because one of those seconds turned into Alex Debrinkit. So that's a nice thing to link the Leafs and the Habs because I think we both missed out on one of the best players in the NHL. This one is utterly batshit. And just let me tell you that I know that this is not their fault, but it is crazy that it's happened because this trade is the least consequential trade that I could possibly dream of. It was uh, at the draft in 2013. Montreal really wanted this guy. Hugo Fagerblom was his name. Uh, They traded a second next year to get a seventh this year because they really wanted to take this guy. Now, I bet Florida, from their perspective, where it's just like, man, I've been at this draft for a million years. I got to get this over with. But that seventh round pick turned out to be current due to injury, but nonetheless, number one, Florida Panthers defenseman, Mackenzie Weger. So my point is, is that Bergevin's a fucking moron. (laughs) (laughs) Where's where's Hugo Foggerblom now, you know? tell me. Gotta fire him. I actually looked. He's the prime minister of Sweden now. He got out, <laughs> he got into he got into politics. Well, then in some ways you could argue that Montreal did win that trade because he's a little bit more important than Mackenzie Wegar is. I mean, this is just a game we're talking about. Yeah, John, are you doing okay on time? Do you have time to do the Toronto Maple Leafs? No, this is when I want to leave before I would I start love talking it. about my team. Okay, so this is interesting because I think for a bunch of these today, this was a bit of a research project for me and it was fun, but I think for the least we can kind of do this off the cuff of our, uh, and maybe we can take turns bringing in trades. Let me say this before we get into this is that I love Kyle Dubas. I think that he is, I don't know if there's anyone in the NHL who I would rather have running my team. 
Yeah, it's probably Joe Sackick is maybe the only other one, it seems like. Yeah. And also, doesn't it fucking piss you off just to touch on this very briefly? Sure. If Kyle Dubas was the GM of the Leafs at the time of that draft, Alex Dabrinkit would be on the Toronto Maple Leafs. There's no doubt in my mind. Oh, that makes me live Not a single shred of doubt in my mind that Alex Dabrinkit would be on the Leafs if Kyle Dubas was running the draft and not noted draft guru, Mark Hunter, who in that draft chose Igor yep. Korshkov, Emily Rasanin. I was going to say it's Korshkov, isn't it? Yes, it was Korshkov <sighs> instead of Dabrinkit. Uh, it is astonishing. Oh, and it's so annoying. Anyway. And the fact that you just said even that, because in that was like that big divide in the fan, in the fan base where then they were like, Mark Hunter is the king of drafting. That was like the thing. And how bad of a draft do you have to have to get Austin Matthews? And you look back at it, you're still like, woof, rough draft. Because everyone immediately was just like, what are they doing? Terrible. And you know what's telling to me? You know, we all heard about Mark Hunter this, Mark Hunter that. Never got another job, did he? Nope. He's never got another job. Nope. Can't even get a fucking head scout job in nope. the NHL. He's supposed to be some sort of drafting genius. I mean, the proof is in the pudding, as they say. The proof is in the touting. That's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good. We just landed on our episode title right there. That's amazing. Yeah, that's our episode name right there. So... I have some trades with Dubas that I, that he lost. I feel there's some trades with Dubas that he lost, but it was not his fault. And I have one trade mm-hmm. that I'm really unsure on. I'll go first because okay, you, go. you have – this is an interesting thing, John. You have broken three of these trades to me. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Nice. I remember I, just, I was doing like ta- a corporate – text? Yeah, on text. I was doing a okay. corporate at Come From Away, and I was in between sets. I was doing one of those MCing gigs where you had to go up and down and up and down. And then the Leafs acquired – who I think is their best defenseman, Jake Muzzin, yes. uh, while I was in between it. And I went back on stage, and in my mind, I was just rereading the text you sent me in my head, and I was jazzed. And Jake Muzzin, who I think I have grown to love, I liked at that point. I knew he was like an analytical darling, but I just never watched much L- never, never watched a lot of L.A., and I didn't know how good he was. But I think to me this is a clear and absolute win. Yeah, no question. Great trade, great re-signing, great process, love it all. And a very, and I would say kind of a, uh, another win I can think of where just, it's just good. It's just good process. Good asset management was the Casperi Kapanen trade, uh, this past off season, Hell uh, yeah. you managed to extract a mid first rounder and a B-level prospect. I will say a thing about the Kapanen trade is that it made the Marlowe trade hurt a lot less. Uh, so to, if you yeah. guys don't remember, basically in order to keep Kapanen and Janssen, we had to dump Patrick Marlowe's giant goddamn contract that because Lou Lamorello signed a 37-year-old man to a three-year deal, and we, got a, we had to trade a first for that, which ended up being Seth Jarvis, and he is going to be unbelievable so that would have really stung a lot more had we not basically replaced that pick with captain and after agreed yeah 
I think the Kapanen deal too, moving away from Kapanen, might go down in history as the Toronto Maple Leafs kind of assessing a guy's peak and saying like, yeah, okay, we, we got the, it didn't work with what might be his peak. Uh, yeah. We can do without his, and, and on he goes. The yeah, only thing he's, he's been pretty good with Pittsburgh this year, but you know, it's yeah. like you can go, you go from playing with Austin Matthews to playing with Evgeny Malkin. It's a pretty good career you have going for you. So far. Oh yeah. The only thing about the Kapanen return is it kind of like it, it hurt the Andreas Janssen return for me. Cause it like Joey Anderson might be something. He might be a good bottom six guy by all scouting reports. He very well might be, but I always thought Janssen was a better player than Kapanen. I doubt he was perceived like that around the league because Kapanen has the name and the speed and everything. But then it kind of made me too pumped to see what they were going to get for Andreas Janssen. To me, Janssen was a guy who I felt like was a good player, but I felt what I don't think I, I should. Here's what I'll say. I don't think he's a replacement level player, mm-hmm. but I do think that he is replaceable in that most of his values seem to come with playing with very good players. And I think you can put, especially at this point with how good Matthews and Marner have been, you can pretty I mean, you can put a scarecrow beside the two of them and they'll get 40 points. Um, so to me, Janssen always felt like a guy who could play with good players, but could also just be like a third or fourth line guy. And you're yeah. seeing that this year. He doesn't have good players to play with in New Jersey and he's not playing particularly well. So I, 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 I didn't mind them getting Ringo. rid of him. Yeah, totally. I didn't mind getting rid of him. Yeah, uh, I didn't mind the return either. I thought, you know what, if if that's what they want, like especially when you hear things like the Devils offered like a second round pick and they wanted Joey Anderson instead, right? Then you know, I think we've already established we all believe very strongly in Kyle Dubas. So when I hear things like that, I'm like, okay, I trust that Dubas sees something there that that is valuable so yeah and he was like a world junior captain and he like i i hear a lot of hyman light things about him i think the thing about that is like in the other side of things is we were bent over a barrel there we had to move those guys because of cap reasons and we've replaced them for cheap guys like thornton and simmons which i'll do that at any point i think that's delightful i think the big question about that trade is was it we had to get rid of two out of three of Kerfoot, Janssen, and Kapanen? And now, I mean, we, with the benefit of hindsight, because people are like, well, we should keep Kerfoot because he plays center. And I mean, Kerfoot is so much better as a winger than he is a center. So I wonder if, like, who would the guy there, I think, would to keep. I think looking at it with, you know, I mean, hindsight's 2020, but Kapanen is the guy who's had the best season there. But they also, I don't think they would have got that return for Kerfoot. I'm a Kerfoot apologist. So, no. And, um, well, I, that I segues think, into, I think Kerfoot's John, you, this is the other trade you teed up for me. So when you're talking about Kerfoot, let's talk about this Nazem Kadri deal, which right, I think yeah, is yeah. The, the saddest uh, Kyle Dubas trade. Yes. I, I Yeah. So obviously in hindsight, we lost that trade for sure. Um, but what I would say is I think they had to move on from Kadri. I, I just don't think they had a choice with the playoffs getting suspended two years in a row. And in both cases, you could probably argue that if Kadri doesn't get suspended, the Leafs win. You could make the case they win both yep, times. Totally. Certain, certainly the second time. Um, and both for just mm-hmm. like boneheaded, stupid shit plays. And 
when you play in Toronto uh, and you've done that two years in a row and you've all possibly single-handedly cost your team playoff series, I don't think they could have kept him. So yeah. I think when you look at the return in the moment seemed pretty strong. Um, I remember being like pretty excited about the trade when it happened. How could we know that Tyson Barry would just completely fall apart? Uh, you know, we couldn't really. And I, I just, I think Kerfoot is a usable player. Um, I think, yeah. he, you know, I, I, I like him. I, I think he's better than people give him credit for. Uh, I agree. He seems to be a bit better as a, as a winger playing with higher complementary players, but I also don't mind them using, using him in a, in a center role. I just think he's useful. He's good. He's no Kadri, but they had to get away from Kadri. And um, yeah, it, it, it's unfortunate because I think the Calgary return was going to be, I think, Jankowski and Brody, right? That was the like rumor. So, well, that ex- exactly. And I think that I would rather, you know, what I want there is what we ended up with, which is I would want Kerfoot and Brody. Yes, exactly. Tyson right? so, Berry is a thing that I think that I, I, you look at his point totals and you're like, holy shit, this guy's going to be unbelievable. He's a player that you really need to experience on your own, in your own, on your own team, in your own zone to be like, oh, wow, this guy is really an empty calorie kind of guy. But at the time, I remember being like the only thing, because I don't like that trade now in hindsight. One, I think you're like, who do I want the Leafs to get? I hate to say it, but if you take out all of personal history and all that aside, if I'm like, if I wanted the Leafs to acquire one player, I actually think Kadri fits the profile almost to a T at this trade deadline. But yeah, for sure. Oh, but, but I remember when that trade happened, I said, the only thing I don't like about this is that you only get a year of Barry and then you don't know what you're going to get after that because you don't know if he'll resign how expensive he'll be everyone thought that he ended up ended up taking a discount but i remember when that was happening uh, that was really a bad thing but i've changed my tune on that sense especially now that the leafs are like a destination team because really what was beneficial was to get barry have that year to evaluate him and be like no this guy ain't the guy and then you gotta you get the cap space to get the guy you actually wanted i think that ended up working out very nicely yeah i mean brody's been so good like he's been been exactly i mean it's crazy because i remember like when the trade happened or when they uh the signing happened with brody I remember like, you know, Myrtle and Jonas and other, you know, pundits kind of being like, well, Brody's he's, he's on the wrong side of 30. He maybe was propped up by Giordano, uh, you know, is he's not super offensive. He's got a good breakout pass, but he's not, you know, he's not going to ever give you more than 20 or 30 points kind of thing. But I mean, he has been so good. I mean, he is so good defensively. And I think that got underrated. And I think playing with Giordano, uh, maybe helped him be a bit underrated because people were like, oh, Giordano was just propping him up. And it's clear that that was not the case. Maybe the opposite. To, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. He seems to have fit in beautifully with Riley. Um, you know, I think other, for me, he's the Leafs MVP outside of like the obvious guy. Like obviously Austin is the Leafs MVP. But if, if you had to say to me like, okay, you can't include Marner or Matthews, who is the Leafs MVP? It's Brody for me. Yeah. And I I used to think that I did not want the Leafs to acquire another D at the deadline, but uh, 
now that I see, like Justin Hall has also been great, but yes. basically bringing in like Muzzin coming in, Hall establishing himself, and then bringing in Brody and Riley has always been decent, a little bit suspect uh, defensively, but overall a great player. That I mean, like, oh my god, all of a sudden this team is solid defensively, but we are, in my opinion, one injury away from a little bit of trouble. Uh, a couple other trades to go through real quick. I do think we have to touch on this a little bit because there's two young trades for Kyle Dubas that he made because I remember being so excited by this when he did it because it seemed like, oh, my God, this is a real Bill Belichick thing to do. But he traded his first for another first and a second, and then he traded that second for a later second and a third. And I remember being like, this guy's a genius. And the idea was one of these four guys is going to be better than that early pick. And I still, that's one where I agree with the process, but the result kind of sucks because the guy they gave up on was Travis Konechny. And the other guys they picked up were like Bracco, Dermott, and that guy Martin Jerkles. And it just didn't end up working out. But it was kind of an exciting thing to be like, oh, we have a modern GM who's not just going to take Frederick Gauthier at 20th. Total Freddie Goats, man. May he rest in peace. Uh, real quick, what about the Kessel right deal? Now. Unless you guys, unless unless you guys have something on uh, on that one. Uh, on the draft, on the draft management one, it's that like so. When we started chatting about this layout of the show today, I was I was going to say like, well, we should just kind of try to tee off each GM's like mode of operations, and that's like the Kyle Dubas thing to do. I think he's done that at a couple of drafts. I enjoy it because. Anything after 20th is just a lottery ticket. And if you can get more and more lottery tickets, and if you've got a guy in mind that you want that's not going then, and you want more and more lottery tickets, like that's just the smartest possible move you could do rather than drafting a guy. Like it's not to say anything, but maybe the Leaf scouts just didn't see much of Travis Konecki and he just wasn't even on the radar. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things. It's like, Sorry, John, go ahead. No, well, it's just like, it's one, it's one thing Vancouver fans talk about a lot. It's like people who defend Jim Benning talk about how he's done really well in the draft. Um, and they are conveniently ignoring that he drafted Ole Levy and Jake Furtanen in the top 10. And they're just focusing on the fact that he took Pedersen ahead of slot. He took Besser. Uh, you know, he's had some like later round wins like that. Quinn Hughes, you know, stuff like that. So he has made good picks, but the, the sort of reputation of Benning coming into being the GM of the Canucks was, oh, he's a super scout. He's like the guy who's been crushing it for Boston. He's the guy who scouted Pasternak. He's the guy who did this and that, blah, blah, blah. That was always Benning's reputation. And then uh, he comes here and he never tries to acquire draft picks ever. So it's like, that's the thing that isn't, you know, like Dubis feels like thinks he's good at the draft. And so far that seems to be the case. Uh, And he goes about trying to acquire as many draft picks as possible. And so it's like, if Benning really were this super scout GM and that's his biggest strength, why is he never trying to acquire more draft picks? It doesn't make any sense. And so I totally agree with you that like, it just is, it's a weird thing that some GMs don't focus on. I love that Dubas is focusing more on it. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I think, yeah, you can never make too many bets and like, look at how many picks even this draft that people are going, oh, you know, Ronnie Hirvin and Topi Niemela. Like, totally. You know, where it's like, yeah, they're, they're probably not going to be NHLers, but the fact that we can even, even a year out from the draft, talk about them like they might be NHLers as opposed to like when we drafted guys like Emily Rassanen and stuff where where the second he was drafted, guys are like, well, he's never going to play in the NHL. The Mark Hunter draft. 
Yes, exactly. Yeah, this yeah. connecting it's thing also, is... Go ahead, Charles. It's it's also like the Amirovs and the Tovenins and the Tapinil... Oh, boy. I just Don Cherry those names. The <laughs> Amirovs, the Tapi Nimelins. Nimelins? Nina Nilemina. Oh, this is finish the the Finnish defender we've got. What that does, <laughs> like drafting those guys, yeah, drafting those guys puts a little bit more of, I guess, a few more chips on the table for Dubas in terms of look. I, I I'm not uh, I'm not a guy that's married to these people because they're four or five years away from joining the NHL, but. If you're a team that's rebuilding and you've got a piece that we want, so everything going around the trade deadline now is like Taylor Hall, Taylor Hall, Taylor Hall. I don't even think it would take a first round pick. I think you could give them one of those guys and they'd be like, shit, yeah, we'll do it. Yeah. yeah. Sabres don't have scouts. What do they want? What do they want picks for? They don't even have a fucking scouting department anymore. Well, I would buy, I mean, we've said this before, but I mean, I think this is somehow we found ourselves in a once in a lifetime situation that you can buy low on Taylor Hall. He's shooting 2% on the worst team in modern history. So if you I think get, we'll be here next year. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Um, okay. So a couple other trades that are kind of gimme wins. I think it's amazing. I think the Brown, CC, uh, Brown and Zaitsev for CC, Ben Harper and a third. I think that you managed to unload Nikita Zaitsev's contract, uh, get a third round pick back. Connor Brown's been good, but he wasn't going to fit on that team. I think if you can win a team, if you win a trade that you can acquire Cody CC, that is fucking remarkable. I think a second round for Campbell looks real nice. And the biggest win of all, I think, was his first trade, which is a bad player for a good player. Uh, with a bad name for a good name, Zach Hyman for Greg McKegg <laughs> with a leg for an arm and an, an arm, arm for a leg. For a leg. All right, maybe we'll shut her down there, boys. I think we this one is good and hearty. John's one of the best storytellers in this country, so oh, you should definitely you. get his album uh, ASAP. And uh, anything else you want to plug, John? You have a fucking massive podcast that oh. you do not need our listeners for. <laughs> Uh, you know, I will say if you enjoyed my appearance on this show, uh, you mentioned earlier, I do have a hockey podcast. Uh, it's called right. Hockey Fight. Uh, it's myself and Brendan Batchelor, who is the radio play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks. It's uh, myself and him. Uh, we do the show every week on Sportsnet 650 here in Vancouver, and then it gets posted in podcast form. Uh, so wherever you get your podcasts, you can look up Hockey Fight with three exclamation points. You can follow it on Twitter at Hockey Fight Pod, and you can follow me on Twitter at Cullen the Comic. Yeah. And again, I can personally vouch for all of those things. It's a great show. And John, thanks very much for coming on. Congrats on being an engaged man. Congrats on everything. Congrats on your T-shirt. I love you. I miss you. Thank you. Miss you too. Love you too. Nice to meet you, Charles. (laughs) 